as you begin to return back to your seats. Um, uh, so again, my name is Chris. Uh, I'm one of the elders here. And uh, um, um, to kick things off today, we are going to start. Um, uh, we're going to start with some trivia. Let me see your hand if you like trivia. Awesome. Okay, so today um, uh, we're, we're continuing our series um, uh, that, that, that Pastor Beth is calling Who, and we're talking about the church. So today I'm going to see if you can name the most beautiful churches in the whole world. And before, I, I know how many of you are, so before you start to question the accuracy of my sources, I got this from a random YouTube link. So clearly, there is absolutely no room for debate. So, what do you think the most beautiful church in the entire world is? Any guesses? Great City Vineyard! I planted her. <laughs> Any, any other guesses? St. Peter's? Vicki? I love it. I love it. God's holy church. Um, so, according, again, according to my sources, um, uh, now I'm going to put up the three most beautiful churches in the world, and I want to see if you guys can, can name the church or at least name where it's at. So, so here's the first one. Anybody know that one? Uh, I, heard, I heard the place. Anybody know the name of it? It's called St. Basil's Cathedral in Denise, where? Moscow, Russia. Good job. Um, so there's 10 domes to St. Basil's Cathedral. And uh, for a walk on the morbid side, um, legend has it that the builder was blinded right after constructing it so that a building of its same stature and same beauty could never be constructed again. So yeah, pretty intense. Uh, number two, the number two most beautiful church in the world. Anybody know this one? No? Good guess. Milan. Andy Duffy, congratulations. It's, I'm, I'm going to butcher my Italian. It's Duomo di Milano, um, which is in Milan. And it took almost 600 years to complete the construction of that. <laughs> and then number three, let's put that up. Anybody know this one? Where does it look like that one's at? So this is Borgenstave Church in Norway. Norway. Did my Duncan get that one? Very good, Mike. Um, so, so this was built way back in 1180. Um, but here's the twist. So I know I told you that you can't uh, dispute the accuracy of, of my sources, but, but I actually have proof that, that this is wrong. Um, and no, despite what, what Robin said, despite the, the beautiful converted warehouse space that, that we enjoy here at Gate City Vineyard, um, our church building isn't the right answer either. So if you'll indulge me and give me a, Mylene loves drum rolls, so I thought we could do a little drum roll here. Give me a drum roll. Um, the most beautiful church in the world is us. Okay? Um, uh, 
the community of followers of Jesus Christ. So now to be clear, as much as I love all of you, I'm not, I'm not just talking about our little group um, that's assembled here today. I'm talking about the community of people, both locally and globally, who have committed to following Jesus. You see, in, in God's eyes, the church, it's not a building. As beautiful as those buildings might be, that's not what God's vision of the church is. The church is the family of God. The, the community of Jesus followers that has linked arms with one another to partner with God together to bring him glory and to advance his kingdom in the world. So throughout the New Testament, scripture makes it clear how much God treasures the church. Again, not the building, not the institution, but the gathered community of believers. So here's an example. When Paul's talking to the church in Ephesus, he says this, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. So the church, it, it, it transcends a building. It even transcends geographical and, and cultural lines. And all of those who follow Jesus are members of the church. And note that the entire, the entire basis of the church and the reason for its existence is Jesus. And all believers are joined together by the person of Jesus. And I, I told you before that I have proof. How do we know that God thinks of us as the most beautiful church? So, so look at the phrase that's used here. Rises, go back, if you could, thanks. Um, rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. So the original readers of this letter, they would have Im immediately thought of the temple in Jerusalem, which in the Old Testament, right, was the center of spiritual life and the location of God's presence. Within the temple was the Holy of Holies, where only the high priest could enter. The temple was, was special. It was unique. It was sacred. And it was holy. So what Paul is saying here is it's revolutionary that the presence of the Lord, it's no longer confined to the physical structure of the temple, but rather because of Jesus, the presence of the Lord is now in and among God's people. The beauty and the sacredness of the physical temple is now secondary to the beauty and the sacredness of God dwelling among his people by the presence of Jesus through the Holy Spirit. So today we're gonna to explore that idea together. As followers of Jesus, what does it mean to, to be the church rather than simply attending a church? What is God's vision for us as the church and how does that vision 
impact our lives, impact our priorities, and impact how we engage with God and with one another. So the first core idea I want to explore today is this, that, that following Jesus is by definition both a personal and a communal journey. So last week, Beth did a fantastic job communicating our need to make a personal decision to follow Jesus. She talked about how we're created in the image of God, but we are also sinners in desperate need of God's grace to receive God's forgiveness and to be able to live according to that image of God within us. And, and we see this truth, right? We see this need to make a personal decision to follow Jesus, perhaps most vividly when, when Jesus reaches out to his disciples um, at that initial point of contact with that simple and profound request. What does Jesus say? He says, follow me. And Jesus continues to extend his hand to each one of us today with that same request follow me. But what's crucial to understand, however, is that throughout the Bible, that, that call, follow me, it was never an individual solo journey. When we respond to God's call to follow him, we do so by following together with others. In fact, John Wesley, who was the founder of, of the Wesleyan theological tradition, said that one of the most impactful and pivotal moments of his life was when a believer came to him and said this, Sir, and, and go to heaven. Remember, you cannot serve him alone. You must, therefore, find companions or make them. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. Those are, to me, those are convicting and challenging words. I, I don't know about you, but I think many of us, myself included, we have times where, where we want to have a solitary religion. Because let's be honest, we live in a broken world and people can be difficult to deal with, right? Um, uh, it, it can feel a lot easier to say, you know, I'm, I'm spiritual, but I'm not religious. So, so my faith is purely personal. Or I'll just, I'll just log on to Etz Church and, and watch the services online and, that, and that's how I'm going to nurture my faith. Or I've been, I've been hurt by the church, so I'm just going to worship God on my own. Or, or the church is full of hypocrites, and so I, I don't want to associate with the church. And to be sure, I, I want to make it clear, those, those are understandable and legitimate emotions because again the church the church is a collection of humans in a fallen world and and unfortunately many many people have been hurt by the church and hurt by its people but whenever we're in doubt about something or unsure about something a good rule of thumb is always to look to the way of Jesus and Jesus he didn't call the disciples to follow him individually he, he created a community of disciples that followed him together and invited others alongside to follow him as well. And then we look at the early church. The early church was known 
for its commitment to living in community, to eating together, to worshiping together, and serving together those who were in need. And then the majority of the New Testament is letters written not to individuals, but to churches, to communities um, in, in different cities and in different cultures with instructions and encouragement about how to live out their faith together alongside one another in, in community. And as you read those letters, it's clear that just like today, those communities didn't always get along super well or, or see eye to eye, but still the call and the instruction was there to live in community. You know, I think as we read the Bible, um, it's easy in our American culture, right, which tends to be more, more individualistic, it's easy to read passages as, as if they were written personally to me and to, to me alone. Um, but it's so vital to look at the original context of a passage and uh, to whom it was written. Um, and most often that was to a group of believers discussing how their Christian faith should impact both their relationship to God and their relationship to one another. In fact, you know, that's, that's really one of the most unique aspects of Christianity. You know, it's not just a vertical relationship between me and God, and it's also not just a horizontal relationship between me and you. It's both, and they can't be separated. Throughout the Bible, we see this interconnectedness. You know, we, we think of Jesus when he's asked, what, what is the greatest commandment? He gives not one answer, but two, right? He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, the vertical, and love your neighbor as yourself, the horizontal. One can't exist without the other. And similarly, in Paul's letters, he encourages us to be reconciled to God, so the vertical, and to be reconciled to one another, the, the horizontal. And that, that is why the church is so important and so necessary. This, it's not just a place where we go individually to worship God. It's a community where we live out our faith together. Yes, we do. We worship God individually, but we also worship God through our love for one another as we do life together, as we, as we serve one another together, and we support each other through all of life's twists and turns. You know, Jesus, he modeled that in such a powerful way. Like, when you think of John 13, at the beginning of the chapter, you know, the disciples are astonished when, when Jesus comes to them and starts washing their feet certainly shows that, that Jesus took this idea of serving in community really seriously. And then later on in the chapter, he says this to his disciples, a new command I give you, love one another. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples, if you love one another. So how do others know that we're followers of Jesus if we love one another? We might be inclined to say that it's, well, it's because we believe the right things or, or because we attend a, a certain religious service or, or because we say certain things or if, you know, because we have Bible verses in our homes. And 
Of course, there, there's nothing wrong with any of those things, but, but curiously, it's none of those things that, that Jesus mentions here. He says that the distinguishing characteristic of the church, of followers of Jesus, of the community that, that decided to follow Jesus, is that we love one another. That is what distinguishes us as the church. So again, for a follower of Jesus, being in community, it's, it's not this, this nice thing if and when it's convenient for us. It's the commandment straight from the mouth of Jesus. And it's the most tangible expression we can offer of what it means to follow Jesus. And last week, Beth talked about the image of God and how God restores his image within us when we follow Jesus. And I think we often think of that in, in individual terms, that, that my life can look more and more like Jesus as I follow Jesus and as I trust in Jesus. And that is 100% absolutely true. But even in that idea, there's a real communal aspect. You may recall that, that Beth quoted Genesis 1 last week. When, when God says this, he says, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness. And at first, that sounds a little bit strange, right? In what, what's going on here? Why is God using this phrase, our, and not once, but, but twice? Well, this is, this is the first and one of the strongest indications in Scripture of the Trinitarian nature of God. That, that God is speaking in the plural here because from the beginning, God existed in community as the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So think about that for a moment. God, God in, his very be, in his very being is not an individual. God is a community. God's core existence is that of a community that loves one another fully and depends upon one another completely. You know, the examples in Scripture are, are numerous, but a, a few that come instantly to mind are, are Jesus saying that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Jesus saying that apart, apart from my Father, I, I can do nothing. Um, and Jesus giving the promise that the Father will send the Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. This is the community of God working together in action. See, God, God in his very essence is a community. So for us to bear the image of God, to look like God, we similarly live in a community marked by love, a community where, where we care deeply for one another, where, where we support each other and where we encourage one another. And it's this kind of community that's the church. And that's, that's exactly how God has designed us to reflect his image. And just as the members of the Trinity reflect different roles, God has created each of us with different gifts, with different characteristics, with, with different abilities, and we only fully reflect the image of God when we're in community together. And I think especially, again, in the culture that we live in today, 
I'm, uh, I know for me at least, I want to be able to do everything on my own. I want to be able to put the world on my shoulder and just take care of everything. Um, and we also may find ourselves inclined to surround ourselves with, with people that, that look like us and think like us and act like us because, because it seems like that might be easier. But the truth we see in Scripture and really in the very nature of the Trinity is this, that we're different in many ways and we need each other. You know, that was, that was true of, of the first group of disciples that followed Jesus. You know, they, they came from different backgrounds and were from different walks of life. It was true in the early church, and it's true of the, the local and the global church today. You know, Paul uses the analogy of, of the body to describe this truth further, which is why you often hear of the church referred to as, as the body of Christ. And this is, this is what the scripture says. Just as a body, though one, has many parts, but all its many parts form one body, so it is with Christ. For we were all baptized by one spirit, so as to form one body, whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, and we were all given the one spirit to drink. Even so, the body is not made up of one part, but of many. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? See, none of us can be the body of Christ, the church, on our own. We, we just can't do it. That's not how we were designed. You know, trying to be a follower of Jesus on my own is is like being an eye or an ear on its own. I might be able to, to see or, or hear, but, but without the ability to, to move or to communicate, which has to come from the rest of the body, I can't, I can't really accomplish anything if I'm just an eye or an ear floating in the universe on, on my own. See, for me to truly be the church, the follower of Jesus that God designed me to be, I need you. For me to follow Jesus, I need you. For you to follow Jesus, you need me. I need you in my life as connected followers of Jesus. And the visual Paul's using here is clear that, that the body of Christ is composed of, of different parts actively working together, right? The eye helps the ear, the ear helps the nose, etc., and so on. So... So this idea of the church, of the body of Christ, it's, it's so much more than just standing shoulder to shoulder with people on a, on a Sunday morning. That's, that's, that's not actively working together as the body of Christ. It's a start, but it cannot end there. Um, it's so much more than that. Just like the Trinity, you know, this is a picture of true community in action, working together, depending on one another, loving one another, serving one another. And importantly, if we go back to the, the last slide, go back one if you could. Perfect, thanks. Um, uh, we see here that the one body that God intended, coming from one spirit, is composed of different people with different backgrounds, with different gifts. You know, in Paul's day, by far, the biggest cultural divide was between Jew and Gentile. 
Um, and God's making it clear here that, that to function as he intends for us to, we have to be in loving and authentic community with people that are very different from us. God builds that bridge. So in fact, this idea of participating in the body of Christ, it, it's so central throughout scripture and through the message of Jesus that, that this notion that you hear of a, of a purely personal faith, right? Like of, of me and God in a vacuum, like that, that just wouldn't make any sense to the early disciples, to the early church. Um, Eugene Peterson was a biblical scholar um, who wrote, the, he's probably most famous for writing the message, um, which is a paraphrase of the Bible from the original languages into contemporary English. So I certainly think he qualifies as an expert on scripture. And, and he didn't pull any punches when he, when he said this. He says this, there can be no maturity in the spiritual life, no obedience in following Jesus, no wholeness in the Christian life, apart from an immersion in and embrace of community. I am not myself by myself. So that might sound a little bit radical at first, but... I think it sounds a heck of a lot like Jesus saying that, that apart from my Father, I can do nothing. Effectively, Jesus said he cannot be himself by himself. And if, if he can't do it, we, we, sure can't, we sure can't do it either. We simply cannot experience the abundant life that God designed for us to experience without participating in true community with other believers. And a key part of that abundant life is partnering with God together as this. Um, uh, as God has chosen to accomplish his mission in the world through the church. You know, earlier in the series, Beth talked about how God loves us enough to give us free will. He also loves us enough to ask us to freely partner with him in accomplishing his mission in the world. You know, of course, he's God, right? He could just snap his fingers and force everybody to, to love him and worship him and glorify him, but that's, that's not God's MO. That's not how God operates. Again, God's vision, it comes back to his church, the beautiful creation, the community God designed for us to participate in. And 1 Peter puts this beautifully. But you, you are a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Again, note the communal nature of this. Peter is writing this to communities of believers in nearby provinces, and he's using communal language throughout. A chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. And that same concept extends to the community of believers today. We, we as the church, we are God's special possession. 
We are a chosen people. We are a royal priesthood. We are a holy nation. And with, with what purpose? To declare the praises of God to the world through our words, through our actions, through our lives, and to do it together and bring others alongside us. You know, we see that same theme throughout Scripture. Um, in 2 Corinthians, Paul tells us that, that we are Christ's ambassadors. In the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus tells his followers that they are the light of the world, a city on a hill. We can't be a city on our own. We can only be a city on a hill collectively shining and being the light of Jesus. And for me, that, that vision of, of God's design for the church, that excites me tremendously. You know, I, I think it's really easy to slip into a pattern where, where we think that church, you know, isn't a high priority because we're busy and we have other things to do, or, or we pull away from church because dealing with other people is messy and it's hard, or, or we find ourselves being critical of the church because we look at church primarily as a place where we need to meet our own spiritual need, have our own spiritual needs be met, and we're, and we're disappointed when that doesn't happen in the way that, that we want it to. But all of those thought patterns, they're, they're rooted in a misconception of what the church really is. It's not a building. It's not a set of programs. And it's not localized to any one group of people in any one place. You know, our community here at Gate City Vineyard, it's part of the larger community of Jesus followers. We are a local expression of the global church. And both globally and locally, God has chosen his church to partner with him together to change the world and to make his kingdom more and more of a reality among us everywhere we go. Um, Tara Beth Leach is, is an author and a pastor and I, I love the way that she, she captures this idea. In particular, she talks about the church as, as a community where we can experience what she calls covenant togetherness. So that's the fulfillment that comes from, from linking arms with one another and committing ourselves to one another for the sake of the kingdom of God. She says this, the Christian life is, is not a solo journey. Instead, it's a journey of covenant togetherness. John C. Nugent observes, there's no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. Throughout the story of God, we, do, we don't see a vision for private pietism. That's the me and God in a vacuum but rather holy people. Sure, it's messy and it's flawed, but that is the beauty of covenant togetherness. The church is, is filled with broken sinners who often struggle to, to get along, agree, and see eye to eye. And yet, and yet, the same church is invited to be the light in a dark broken and weary world. The tasks of proclaiming the gospel, healing the sick, 
setting captives free, making wrongs right, clothing the naked, adopting orphans, and holding the widow have been given to the church, to a community in covenant togetherness, not not a scattering of loosely connected individuals. So what a privilege, what an honor, what a gift we've been given when we follow Jesus. The gift of participating in God's church that he has chosen to fulfill his mission in the world. Amen? Is it easy? No. Is it messy? Of course. But let this be an encouragement to us whenever we start to allow our vision of church to be reduced to to walking into a building and leaving an hour later. Of course, what we do here in worship, that's an, it's, a, it's an important part of God's vision for the church, but it's, it's a piece of a much larger picture of a community of people that have devoted themselves to God and devoted themselves to one another in love. So in closing, I want to go back to the first passage that we looked at today from Ephesians. But I want to look at it in the message paraphrase that I referenced earlier. And it it says this. You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. Do we have that slide? Keep going. Oh, I think we're going backwards. Should be um, slides 20 and 21. Yeah, there we go. Perfect. Um, You're no longer strangers or outsiders. You belong here with as much right to the name Christian as anyone. God is building a home. He's using us all, irrespective of how we got here, in what he's building. He used the apostles and the prophets for the foundation. Now, he's using you, fitting you in, brick by brick, stone by stone, with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone that holds all the parts together. We see it taking shape day after day, a holy temple built by God all of us built into it, a temple in which God is quite at home. You know, we, we aren't just individual people that, that happen to come to the same building. We are God's family. God is building a home among us, among all of us who have decided to follow Jesus. As different as we are from one another and and from believers across our city, our country, and our world, God is uniting us together and building a home and a family with Jesus Christ at the center. And, you know, most of you who know me know that that my son Micah and and our family in general, we love Lego. Um, And... uh, in fact, one of our weekly traditions is watching Lego Masters uh, together as a family where it's a reality show where they build um, amazing things out of Lego bricks. So I just love the image here of God fitting us in 
brick by brick. So as a, as a tangible expression of, of that, um, Andy and Mylene are going to come around and um, pass out a, a bag of Lego pieces to, to, to each household. So if each household would, would grab one, that would be awesome. Um, um, so when you get your bag, um, uh, go ahead and, and start making a, a building out of it. And as you do, think about each brick, okay? Um, think about each brick being a person in your life who's a follower of Jesus that, that you are connected with. You know, the bricks, your bag of bricks is going to be made of different shapes and, and different colors. Um, and, th and that represents the different people, the different Jesus followers that you're connected to and the different backgrounds and the different perspectives and the different abilities that they represent. So as you put your building together, you know, each person, think, think of each brick as a person and, uh, and think about how you might be able to support them and, uh, and encourage them and love them. And then in turn, think about how they reflect the image of God back to you and help you worship God more fully and understand God more deeply. And this morning, if, if you haven't made a decision to follow Jesus, I, I encourage you to make a building as well. You know, maybe God is, is redefining to you this morning what it means to be part of the church. And maybe you're ready to take a step of faith and respond to Jesus' call to follow him. But in either case, I encourage you to, to take your building that you're creating as, as a reminder this week that God is using you, fitting you in bit, brick by brick. And look at that building and think of the people, the community that God has given you. Each one of those bricks represents a person in the body of Christ that you can love, that you can encourage, that you can serve, and that in turn helps you learn more about the person of Jesus and the image of God. Ask God, whenever you see that building this week, to remind you of what a gift, what an honor, what a privilege it is to be part of his church. So if the worship team would come while I pray, um, uh, you can continue to, to build, build your building brick by brick while we, while we pray. God, we're just, we're so humbled by your love, Lord, and, and your love for us. God, that, that the most beautiful creation, Lord, is, is not any physical structure, it's not any human institution, but it's the body of Christ that you have gathered, that you've assembled, God. Lord, I, I pray that that truth would be more and more of a reality for each of us, God. And I, Lord, for those of us that may not feel very connected to the community, God, I pray that you would help us, Lord, to, to reach out and to be reached out to, God. Um, to find more and more of what, of what that looks like in our lives to, 
to find that abundant life, Lord, that you've, you've called us to, that you've given to us, Lord, where, where we can be in community and be loved and be supported and in turn love one another and support one another, that, Lord, that the world would know that we're, we're your disciples by the way we love one another, God. Lord, may that become more and more of a reality for us, God, and I lift up our local expression of the church, Gate City Vineyard. God, I thank you for the love that you've put in this place. Lord, how you've knit us together. Lord, help us to continue to respond to that, God. Help us to love one another as you have loved us. And help us to together link arms and, and reach out and be the light to a dark and a broken and weary world, God. Lord, give us, give us your passion for your kingdom. Lord and, uh, Lord, and help us to lean into the community. Help us to prioritize the gift of the church that you've given us, God. Lord, I pray that, Lord, that it would just feel more and more that reality that you are building a home among us. God, that, that we all, we all are part of the home with you as the center, God. Help us to, to really make clear to, in our own hearts and then make clear to everyone around us that, that, you, that we all belong here, God. Wherever we come from, whatever our past, whatever our backgrounds, we all belong here fully as followers of you, God. May that, may that be a reality. May that be the cry of our hearts this week. In your name I pray.